Hello, welcome back. I'm Eric Grun. This is These Are the Words. And I am going to be playing for you Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. I'm going to play the next video by Orthodox Reactionary. Uh, I, I thought I would start it off with him reading. Uh, my throat's been bothering me lately, so it's kind of perfect that uh, he's able to read. So hopefully uh, you enjoy it and you can hear it clearly. And I'll, I'll, I'll maybe, I might read toward the end, um, but again, my throat is bothering me, so <clears throat> I need to uh, rest my throat. Um, so, um, you know, without further ado, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future by Father Seraphim Rose. Chapter 7, the quote, charismatic revival as a sign of the times. Costa Deer took the mic and told us how his heart was burdened for the Greek Orthodox Church. He asked Episcopalian Father Driscoll to pray that the Holy Spirit would sweep that church as he was sweeping the Catholic Church. While Father Driscoll prayed, Costa Deer wept into the mic. Following the prayer was a long message in tongues and an equally long interpretation, saying that the prayers had been heard and the Holy Spirit would blow through and awaken the Greek Orthodox Church. By this time there was so much weeping and calling out that I backed away from it all emotionally. Yet I heard myself saying a surprising thing, quote, some day when we read how the Spirit is moving in the Greek Orthodox Church, let us remember that we were here the moment that it began, end quote. Six months after the event here described occurred at an interdenominational, quote, charismatic meeting in Seattle, Orthodox Christians did indeed begin to hear that the, quote, charismatic spirit was moving in the Greek Orthodox Church. Beginning in January 1972, Father Eusebius Stephanus Logos began to report on this movement, which had begun earlier in several Greek and Syrian parishes in America and now had spread to a number of others, being actively promoted by Father Eusebius. After the reader has read the description of this, quote, spirit, from the words of its leading representatives in the pages that follow, he should not find it difficult to believe that in very fact it was evoked and instilled into the Orthodox world by just such urgent entreaties of, quote, interdenominational Christians. For if one conclusion emerges from this description, it must certainly be that the spectacular present-day, quote, charismatic revival is not merely a phenomenon of hyper-emotionalism and Protestant revivalism, although these elements are also strongly present, but is actually the work of a, quote, spirit who can be invoked and works, quote, miracles. The question we shall attempt to answer in these pages is, who or what is this spirit? As Orthodox Christians, we know that it is not only God who works miracles. The devil has his own, quote, miracles, and in fact he can and does imitate virtually every genuine miracle of God. We shall therefore attempt in these pages to be careful to try the spirits, whether they are of God.
1 John 4.1. We shall begin with a brief historical background, since no one can deny that the, quote, charismatic revival has come to the Orthodox world from the Protestant and Catholic denominations, which in turn received it from the Pentecostal sects. Number one, the 20th century Pentecostal movement. The modern Pentecostal movement, although it did have 19th century antecedents, dates its origin precisely to 7 p.m. on New Year's Eve of the year 1900. For some time before that moment, a Methodist minister in Topeka, Kansas, Charles Parham, as an answer to the confessed feebleness of his Christian ministry, had been concentratedly studying the New Testament with a group of his students with the aim of discovering the secret of the power of apostolic Christianity. The students finally deduced that this secret lay in the, quote, speaking in tongues, which, they thought, always accompanied the reception of the Holy Spirit in the Acts of the Apostles. With increasing excitement and tension, Parham and his students resolved to pray until they themselves received the, quote, baptism of the Holy Spirit, together with speaking in tongues. On December 31st, 1900, they prayed from morning to night with no success, until one young girl suggested that one ingredient was missing in this experiment, quote, laying on of hands. Parham put his hands on the young girl's head, and immediately she began to speak in a, quote, unknown tongue. Within three days, there were many such, quote, baptisms, including that of Parham himself and 12 other ministers of various denominations, and all of them were accompanied by speaking in tongues. Soon the revival spread to Texas, and then it had spectacular success at a small black church in Los Angeles. Since then, it has spread throughout the world and claims 10 million members. For half a century, the Pentecostal movement remained sectarian, and everywhere it was received with hostility by the established denominations. Then, however, speaking in tongues began gradually to appear in the denominations themselves, although at first it was kept rather quiet, until in 1960 an Episcopalian priest near Los Angeles gave wide publicity to this fact by publicly declaring that he had received the, quote, baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. After some initial hostility, the, quote, charismatic revival gained the official or unofficial approval of all the major denominations and has spread rapidly both in America and abroad. Even the once rigid and exclusivist Roman Catholic Church, once it took up the, quote, charismatic renewal in earnest in the late 1960s, has been enthusiastically swept up in this movement. In America, the Roman Catholic bishops gave their approval to the movement in 1969, and the few thousand Catholics involved in it then have since increased to untold hundreds of thousands, who gather periodically in local and nationwide, quote, charismatic conferences, whose participants are sometimes numbered in the tens of thousands. 
The Roman Catholic countries of Europe have also become enthusiastically charismatic, as witnessed by the charismatic conference in the summer 1978 in Ireland, attended by thousands of Irish priests. Not long before his death, Pope Paul VI met with a delegation of charismatics and proclaimed that he too is Pentecostal. What can be the reason for such a spectacular success of a quote Christian revival in a seemingly post-Christian world? Doubtless, the answer lies in two factors. First, the receptive ground which consists of those millions of quote Christians who feel that their religion is dry, over-rational, merely external, without fervency or power. And second, the evidently powerful quote, spirit that lies behind the phenomena, which is capable, under the proper conditions, of producing a multitude and variety of charismatic phenomena, including healing, speaking in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, and underlying all of these, an overwhelming experience which is called the quote, baptism of or in or with the Holy Spirit. But what precisely is this quote, spirit? Significantly, this question is seldom if ever raised by followers of the charismatic revival. Their own quote, baptismal experience is so powerful and has been preceded by such an effective psychological preparation in the form of concentrated prayer and expectation that there is never any doubt in their minds but that they have received the Holy Spirit and that the phenomena they have experienced and seen are exactly those described in the Acts of the Apostles. Also, the psychological atmosphere of the movement is often so one-sided and tense that it is regarded as the very blasphemy against the Holy Spirit to entertain any doubts in this regard. Of the hundreds of books that have already appeared on the movement, only a very few express even slight doubts as to its spiritual validity. In order to obtain a better idea of the distinctive characteristics of the quote, charismatic revival, let us examine some of the testimonies and practices of its participants, always checking them against the standard of holy orthodoxy. These testimonies will be taken, with a few exceptions as noted, from the apologetical books and magazines of the movement written by people who are favorable to it and who obviously publish only that material which seems to support their position. Further, we shall make only minimal use of narrowly Pentecostal sources, confining ourselves chiefly to Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox participants in the contemporary charismatic revival. Number two, the quote, ecumenical spirit of the quote, charismatic revival. Before quoting the charismatic testimonies, we should take note of a chief characteristic of the original Pentecostal movement, which is seldom mentioned by charismatic writers, and that is that the number and variety of Pentecostal sects is astonishing, each with its own doctrinal emphasis, and many of them having no fellowship with the others. There are, quote, assemblies of God, churches of God, Pentecostal, and holiness bodies. 
full gospel groups, etc., many of them divided into smaller sects. The first thing that one would have to say about the quote spirit that inspires such anarchy is that it certainly is not a spirit of unity. In sharp contrast to the apostolic church of the first century, to which the movement professes to be returning, nevertheless, there is much talk, especially in the charismatic revival, within the denominations in the past decade, of the unity which it inspires. But what kind of unity is this? The true unity of the church, which Orthodox Christians of the first and twentieth centuries alike know, or the pseudo unity of the ecumenical movement, which denies that the Church of Christ exists. The answer to this question is stated quite clearly by perhaps the leading quote prophet of twentieth century Pentecostalism, David Du Plessis. Who, for the last twenty years, has been actively spreading news of the quote baptism of the Holy Spirit among the denominations of the World Council of Churches, in answer to a quote voice which commanded to do so in 1951. Quote, the Pentecostal revival within the churches is gathering force and speed. The most remarkable thing is that this revival is found in the so-called liberal societies, and much less in the evangelical, and not at all in the fundamentalist segments of Protestantism. The last mentioned are now the most vehement opponents of this glorious revival, because it is in the Pentecostal movement and in the modernist World Council movements that we find the most powerful manifestations of the Spirit. All right, I'm gonna look up real quick for you guys. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe I might find something. Let's look it up. Let's look up John Wimber. John. John Wimber. John Wimber, personal testimony. Let's see something here. John Wimber, spiritual warfare. Um, ABC The Vineyard. This is a 1995 ABC News piece with John Wimber about 24 months before his death. It has tracking lines... As it came from a VHS, let's see. Samson.
the fastest growing trend in contemporary Christianity. It is called experiential or charismatic Christianity. The idea is to come and have an emotional, often physical, encounter with God. says sit back and relax the vineyard says stand up and reach out <laughs> these are the vineyards pastors today they're working with a strategic planning consultant to compose a statement of purpose resulting in the building of the kingdom through the maturing of the saints and the spread of the gospel. <laughs> of which you guys are examples. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say providing a sanctuary in the midst of darkness. emphasis in the vineyard has been to attract the young. They like to call the vineyard a rock generation church. The vineyard's founder is a former musical arranger for the 60s hit singers, the Righteous Brothers. His name is John Wimber. He started the vineyard because he hungered for the supernatural in Christianity. I love Jesus. I love the stuff he did. I love the multiplying of the food and, and the healing of the sick and giving sight to the blind, spitting in people's eyes. I, mean, I love that stuff, you know. The first time he went to church, Wimber says he expected miracles. Nobody did it. After just three Sundays, he was frustrated. So I went up to this guy and I pulled on his sleeve and he had a, something on his chest with his name on it, so I figured he must know something. I said, when do they do it? He said, do what? I said, the stuff. He said, what stuff? I said, the stuff in the Bible. He said, well, uh, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, multiply the fishes and the loaves and, 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 and feed the hungry and all that stuff. When do they do that? He said, oh, we don't do that. We believe in it. We pray about it, but we don't do it. And I was terribly disappointed. I said, wait a minute. You don't understand. I gave up drugs for this. I gave up my career for this. You mean I don't get to do it? When I work for the devil, I got to do the devil stuff. If I'm working for Jesus, I want to do what Jesus did. When Wimber founded his church, he made experiencing God the main attraction, and the church grew rapidly. By 1982, Wimber was an established church growth consultant, and he was invited to teach a course at the Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. He caused an uproar in Christian circles by promoting the evangelizing role of prophecy and miracles, including miracle healing. The Bible does all kinds of things about the character of God and what he does. Professor of church growth, Peter Wagner, who now teaches in the same classroom as Wimmer did, was among the skeptics. The first time he taught that class, I was sitting in the back with my arms folded. And I just, you know, if anything's going to happen, I'm just going to watch it. That's all. I'm not going to be part of it. But um, after about three weeks, he invited me. He said, does anybody need any, uh, want me to pray for them for any healing? Next thing I knew, my hand was up because I had high blood pressure. So I went up forward. Here's I'm the professor. He prayed for me, and the Lord healed my blood, blood pressure. Then I began saying, hey, wait a minute. I think there's something to this. 
there is something to various claims of miracle healing is not a subject that pastors we encountered wanted to dwell on. Evidence is hard to come by. But at the vineyard, there is no doubt that emotional therapy is central to the ministry. And I asked my dad the other day, I had a chance to talk to him. Something happened. This is one of many vineyard support groups. And he was so nice. He was just that father that I could talk to. At that time, I did my inner child work. At that very minute, because my inner child was feeling very betrayed by all this. And at that time, I kept saying, little girl, they really don't know what they're saying. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to raise you up. Here at the Vineyard Church, like we it. found that people were hungry for the faith they could feel. I mean, does any, anybody in this room feel like God has ever spoken to them, either through a prophetic word, uh, through just an understanding that you have, through a dream or a vision? Raise your hand. So At the end of the Sunday that. service, people are invited down for ministry time. You'd like us to minister to you. We'd like to minister to you. And minister hope and strength and comfort and uh, get you on track. You just come right now. Just come. The various manifestations of the Holy Spirit, if that's what they are, are often referred to as signs and wonders. It has been said that you need, I think somebody said, the manna of signs and wonders for the Vineyard Church to survive. Is that a fair comment? I believe that the Church of Jesus Christ needs that today in order to survive. I think we're out done. We, we can't spend the money on theater. The theater can. We can't entertain better than television can. We're not better spokesmen. We're not better philosophers. We, haven't, we can't counsel better than the counselors do. What do we have to offer? just reading the Bible to the, to the people. And people started falling down and shaking and laughing. It's been going on 17 years now. Sometimes with great force and power, sometimes with no. It has seasons. Somebody said, pushed them, or, or, or done some of the kinds of things you might hear about or see in other people's ministry. It just happens. Now, I'm not innocent. I know it can happen and probably will happen. But if you were at our church week in and week out, you would see some of that on certain times, certain occasions, and other times, none at all. Some people's experience ought to, in my opinion, be done in private. But evidently, God doesn't do it that way. We've tried to accommodate it, Peter. We've carried people out of the room. We've taken them into other places. We've, we've had teams assigned to do that. But the Lord just keeps inundating us with so many. People are 
ministered to by other members of the congregation. All we are is a conduit for the Lord to move through us and touch these people that, that are struggling and, and hurting and in bondage or whatever the case may be. Bob and Sherry Lindauer have been attending the vineyard since it began 17 years ago. And it's just wonderful how they've brought us up, they've trained us on the biblical foundation of laying hands on the sick, praying for the sick. Our goal is to pray for whatever their hurt is. Sometimes it scares us. Sometimes people will shake under the power. That where doors have been shut, Lord, not by true will. Sometimes people will cry, sometimes people will laugh, sometimes people will be slain or go out under the power. I think Sherry has a description she used the other day. It's like you stick your finger in an electrical socket. There's a reaction, but you don't see what's causing it. So you do think that there are instances where behavior in the church is too extreme yes remember not everybody that walks into our buildings real healthy Peter. some people have gone through some pretty tough things in life they've been beaten they've been abused they've been sexually molested they've gone through long difficult histories with addiction and so the spirit of god touches them and they do things that you and i wouldn't probably do and when we and we don't want to endorse or encourage. One of the people that Bob and Sherry prayed for in this day was Samantha Sonke. And I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't know why Why does God make us shake. But somehow in that process of shaking, he's, he's restoring me. He's bringing back life into my life. He's bringing healing. Break up inferiority. You're thinking, this looks pretty silly. Why am I doing this? I could force myself to stop, but I really truly believe that it's the Lord. Why would I want to stop something the Lord's doing in me? So I, I choose to go with what he's doing in me. Are you utterly, totally convinced that it always is the Holy Spirit? No, I'm largely convinced it is the Spirit, but I believe it's a mixture of humanity and Spirit. Take the anger, Lord. Take that burning hatred that's been eating at her. At one point, one of them said something about anger, and, and that's what made me really cry. Lord, you really it is sometimes said of John Wimber that he loves to operate on the edge, and that sometimes when you operate on the edge, when you push the envelope of the experiential religion, that you get yourself in trouble. I want to go as far as the Bible goes. I remember on one point in our church, there was an incredible outpouring of the spirit and people were knocked all over the place and they shook and it was i mean it was it looked like somebody threw a bomb in the middle of the room frankly i was i went home frightened i was up all night saying oh god oh god what's happened here what have i done how did this happen i'd never seen anything like that or even heard of it the next sunday i came back to church and there were a group of people and they were waiting out in front they were very they were incensed i could see how angry they were god bless them is this going to go and I remember I had my Bible in my hand and I said it'll go no further than this book and they took comfort from that I thought haven't they read this book
Okay. <clears throat> so that's the church that I was a part of. That was from 1995. That clip was from 1995. I was a part of that church from 1998 to 2004. And, um, yes, I, I did witness, uh, I, I witnessed a woman who had, um, a tumor the size of an egg in the middle of her brain, and we all prayed for her, for, for her to get healed, for her healing, for her healing, and, um, we did laying on of hands, a bunch of us laid, uh, you know, they, it, it's called intercessory prayer. And um, the Bible talks about it as laying on of hands. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just you rest your hands around the person or, um, or touching the person. Touching the person or not touching the person. But it isn't, it's just a light touch uh, on the shoulder or on the back, on the head. Uh, but but we all prayed for her, and uh, I kid you not, the uh, her test results after we prayed for her, the egg-sized tumor shrank down to a a a um about a dime-sized tumor, and the doctors had told her that if if the tumor had grown any more then I, they wouldn't have been able to remove it. But it shrank down to such a size that they didn't need to remove it because it, wasn't, it, it was no longer affecting her brain. It was no longer affecting uh, in anything in her head. And she didn't need an operation after all. She was going to have an operation, but after we prayed for her, she didn't need, she didn't need an operation at all. And uh, there have been many... Um, I, I've, I've, I've encountered like, uh, during those six years, I experienced, um, people watching people and praying for people, watching and praying for various people that were demonically possessed and, um, <clears throat> they were living, uh, secret sinful lives. They were li living li uh, 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 lives. Uh, with secret sin they were Christians and they were coming to church but they were in sin they were actively in sin so that so they were possessed by by demons and um, and I was taught how to cast out demons and we cast the demons out of the person the the, the, the we broke the authority of the demons that had a, a grip on these people's lives and these these people's lives were all changed um, a lot of them were addicted to pornography uh, because of early, um, early on in their childhood or early on in their lives, they had been raped and, and sexually molested. Um, I knew a woman who was satanically ritually abused, um, and literally, <laughs> literally, her parents were abusing her. And her parents were um, um, uh, Satanists. They were they were satanic worshippers. They worshipped Satan, and they were abusing her ritualistically. And um, she had been set free by God. By by so, 
This church, the vineyard, was um, so it was part of that charismatic movement. Um, but uh, you know, they they believe that, like he said, uh, he he believes that it's a mixture of humanity and the Holy Spirit. But they believe in uh, in the in the Trinity, in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they believe that the Holy Spirit still does things today um, just as much as he did things through Jesus Christ and his apostles during the, the first days of, the, of Christianity. And I do too. I do believe that. I do believe that. I do believe that. I do believe that. But, but I, do, I do believe that we should have a healthy suspicion because like we're reading in this story, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future, um, that charismatic revival movement may have a mimic or an imitation by Satan, by the devil. And like we're hearing about in this book, the devil is able to perform his own miracles and in, in copying, trying to copy and mimic God and the Holy Spirit. But I in no way assume that the Holy Spirit is done with um, loving people and healing people. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be done with intercessory prayer or laying on of hands. But like I said, I went to a Catholic when I was around this, the time of this video that I had just played, 1995. It was around that time um, that my mother took me to a Catholic charismatic mass, a healing mass. And in that healing mass, I had seen the same thing, that people were um, fainting, and I had experienced this, the, that as well. I would call it the touch of the Holy Spirit. And you can, I would call it, um, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Catholics believe that we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit in confirmation um, at the age of 12 or 13, much like the Jewish people celebrate the Bar Mitzvah. But that's a that's a a, a rite in uh, you know that's a a rite in becoming a man at 12 or 13. But <clears throat> I would say that. Uh, it wasn't until I was about 16 that I received the gift of the Holy Spirit for the first time. I had seen it before, that I had seen people receiving it and people fainting in the in when they were touched by the Holy Spirit, when the priest was praying for them. And in these healing services, the priests do laying on of hands. They do laying on of hands, so it's a they do intercede and they 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 give intercessory prayer. And in Christianity, we believe that um, we can talk to the saints. We can talk to the saints. We can uh, whether they are alive or dead. Uh, we can ask the saints um, to pray for us and to intercede for us. We can ask angels and, and to intercede for us. We can ask angels to, to pray for us. 
and we can ask saints to pray for us. Um, they're, they, we believe that they are alive in Christ. Now, they are dead to the body. They are dead to the flesh, but they are alive in the spirit, in the spirit of Christ. So um, we can pray to them and ask them to intercede for us, just like we, we can pray for another person who is in the body, who is in the flesh. And just like another person who is in the flesh, if they're a Christian, can also pray for us. And we can ask someone else to pray for us. The same way we can ask a saint to pray for us as much as we could ask another person to pray for us. Um, so anyway, I'm going to continue with the orthodoxy and the religion of the future, the charismatic revival as a sign of the times. Duplice, page 28. In the Roman Catholic Church, likewise, the charismatic renewal is occurring precisely in, quote, liberal circles, and one of its results is to inspire even more their ecumenism and liturgical experimentation, quote, guitar masses and the like. Whereas traditionalist Catholics are as opposed to the movement as are fundamentalist Protestants, without any doubt, the orientation of the charismatic revival is strongly ecumenist. A charismatic Lutheran pastor, Clarence Finassus, writes, quote, Many are surprised that the Holy Spirit can move also in the various traditions of the historic church, whether the church doctrine has a background of Calvinism or Armenianism, this matters little. Proving God is bigger than our creeds, and that no denomination has a monopoly on him. End quote. Christensen, page 99. An Episcopalian pastor, speaking of the charismatic revival, reports that, quote, ecumenically, it is leading to a remarkable joining together of Christians of different traditions, mainly at the local church level. Harper, page 17. The California Charismatic Periodical, Inter-Church Renewal, is full of, quote, unity demonstrations such as this one, quote, The darkness of the ages was dispelled, and a Roman Catholic nun and a Protestant could love each other with a strange new kind of love, which proves that, quote, old denominational barriers are crumbling. Superficial doctrinal differences are being put aside for all believers to come into the unity of the Holy Spirit. End quote. The Orthodox priest Father Eusebius Stephanou believes that quote, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is transcending denominational lines. The Spirit of God is moving, both inside and outside the Orthodox Church. End quote. Logos, January 1972, page 12. Here the Orthodox Christian who is alert to, quote, try the spirits, finds himself on familiar ground, sown with the usual ecumenist cliches. And above all, let us note that this new, quote, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, exactly like the ecumenical movement itself, arises outside the Orthodox Church. Those few Orthodox parishes that are now taking it up are obviously following a fashion of the times that matured completely outside the bounds of the Church of Christ. 
But what is it that those outside the Church of Christ are capable of teaching Orthodox Christians? It is certainly true, no conscious Orthodox person will deny it, that Orthodox Christians are sometimes put to shame by the fervor and zeal of some Roman Catholics and Protestants for church attendance, missionary activities, praying together, reading the scripture, and the like. Fervent non-Orthodox persons can shame the Orthodox, even in the error of their beliefs, when they make more effort to please God than many Orthodox people do, while possessing the whole fullness of apostolic Christianity. The Orthodox would do well to learn from them and wake up to the spiritual riches in their own church, which they fail to see out of spiritual sloth or bad habits. All this relates to the human side of faith, to the human efforts which can be expended in religious activities, whether one's belief is right or wrong. The, quote, charismatic movement, however, claims to be in contact with God, to have found a means for receiving the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of God's grace. And yet it is precisely the church, and nothing else, that our Lord Jesus Christ established as the means of communicating grace to men. Are we to believe that the church is now to be superseded by some, quote, new revelation, capable of transmitting grace outside the church? Among any group of people who may happen to believe in Christ, but who have no knowledge or experience of the mysteries, sacraments, which Christ instituted, and no contact with the apostles and their successors, whom he appointed to administer the mysteries? No. It is as certain today as it was in the first century that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not revealed in those outside the church. The great Orthodox father of the 19th century, Bishop Theophan the Recluse, writes that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given, quote, precisely through the sacrament of chrismation, which was introduced by the apostles in place of the laying of the hands, end quote which is the form the sacrament takes in the Acts of the Apostles. Quote, We all who have been baptized and chrismated have the gift of the Holy Spirit, even though it is not active in everyone. End quote. The Orthodox Church provides the means for making this gift active, and, quote, There is no other path without the sacrament of chrismation, just as earlier without the laying on of the hands of the apostles. The Holy Spirit has never descended and will never descend. End quote. In a word, the orientation of the charismatic revival may be described as one of a newer and deeper or, quote, spiritual ecumenism. Each Christian, quote, renewed in his own tradition, but at the same time strangely united, for it is the same experience, with others equally, quote, renewed in their own traditions, all of which contain various degrees of heresy and impiety. This relativism leads also to openness to completely new religious practices, as when an Orthodox priest allows laymen to, quote, lay in front of the royal doors of an Orthodox church. Logos, April 1972, page 4. 
The end of all this is the super ecumenist vision of the leading Pentecostal quote prophet, who says that many Pentecostals quote begin to visualize the possibility of the movement becoming the Church of Christ in the closing days of time. However, this situation has completely changed during the past ten years. Many of my brethren are now convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, and that the historic churches will be revived or renewed, and then in this renewal be united by the Holy Spirit. End quote. Duplessis, page thirty-three. Clearly. There is no room in the charismatic revival for those who believe that the Orthodox Church is the Church of Christ. It is no wonder that even some Orthodox Pentecostals admit that in the beginning they were quote suspicious of the orthodoxy of this movement. Logos, April 1972, page nine. But now let us begin to look beyond the ecumenistic theories and practices of Pentecostalism to that which really inspires and gives strength to the quote charismatic revival, the actual experience of the power of the quote spirit. Number three, speaking in tongues. If we look carefully at the writings of the charismatic revival. We shall find that this movement closely resembles many sectarian movements of the past, in basing itself primarily or even entirely on one rather bizarre doctrinal emphasis or religious practice. The only difference is that the emphasis is now placed on a specific point, which no sectarians in the past regarded as so central: speaking in tongues. According to the constitution of various Pentecostal sects, quote, the baptism of believers in the Holy Ghost is witnessed by the initial physical sign of speaking with other tongues. End quote. Cheryl, page seventy-nine. And not only is this the first sign of conversion to a Pentecostal sect or orientation, according to the best Pentecostal authorities. This practice must be continued, or the quote, spirit may be lost. Writes David Duplessis, quote, the practice of praying in tongues should continue and increase in the lives of those who are baptized in the spirit. Otherwise, they may find that other manifestations of the spirit come seldom or stop altogether. End quote. Duplessis, page eighty-nine. Many testify, as does one Protestant, that tongues quote, have now become an essential accompaniment to my devotional life. Lily, page fifty, and a Roman Catholic book on the subject, more cautiously, says that of the quote, gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues quote, is often but not always the first received. For many, it is thus a threshold. Through which one passes into the realm of gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ranagan, page nineteen. Here already one may note an overemphasis that is certainly not present in the New Testament, where speaking in tongues has a decidedly minor significance. 
serving as a sign of the descent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, and on two other occasions, Acts 10 and 19. After the first or perhaps the second century, there is no record of it in any orthodox source, and it is not recorded as occurring even among the great fathers of the Egyptian desert, who were so filled with the Spirit of God that they performed numerous astonishing miracles, including raising the dead. The orthodox attitude to genuine speaking in tongues, then, may be summed up in the words of Blessed Augustine. Homilies on John 6.10, quote, In the earliest times the Holy Spirit fell upon them that believed, and they spake with tongues which they had not learned, as the Spirit gave them utterance. These were signs adapted to the time, for it was fitting that there be this sign of the Holy Spirit in all tongues to show that the gospel of God was to run through all tongues over the whole earth. That was done for a sign, and it passed away." And as if to answer contemporary Pentecostals with their strange emphasis on this point, Augustine continues, quote, Is it now expected that they upon whom hands are laid should speak with tongues? Or when we imposed our hand upon these children, did each of you wait to see whether they would speak with tongues? And when he saw that they did not speak with tongues, was any of you so perverse of heart as to say, These have not received the Holy Spirit? End quote. Modern Pentecostals, to justify their use of tongues, refer most of all to St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapters 12 through 14. But St. Paul wrote this passage precisely because, quote, tongues had become a source of disorder in the church of Corinth, and even while he does not forbid them, he decidedly minimizes their significance. This passage, therefore, far from encouraging any modern revival of, quote, tongues, should on the contrary discourage it especially when one discovers, as Pentecostals themselves admit, that there are other sources of speaking in tongues besides the Holy Spirit. As Orthodox Christians, we already know that speaking in tongues as a true gift of the Holy Spirit cannot appear among those outside the Church of Christ. But let us look more closely at this modern phenomenon and see if it possesses characteristics that might reveal from what source it does come. If we are already made suspicious by the exaggerated importance accorded to, quote, tongues by modern Pentecostals, we should be completely awakened about them when we examine the circumstances in which they occur. Far from being given freely and spontaneously, without man's interference, as are the true gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues can be caused to occur quite predictably by a regular technique of concentrated group, quote, prayer, accompanied by psychologically suggestive Protestant hymns, quote, he comes, he comes, culminating in a, quote, laying on of hands and sometimes involving such purely physical efforts as repeating a given phrase over and over again. Coke, page 24. Or just making sounds with the mouth. 
one person admits that, like many others, after speaking in tongues, quote, I often did mouth nonsense syllables in an effort to start the flow of prayers in tongues. End quote. Cheryl, page 127. And such efforts, far from being discouraged, are actually advocated by Pentecostals. Quote, Making sounds with the mouth is not speaking in tongues, but it may signify an honest act of faith, which the Holy Spirit will honor by giving that person the power to speak in another language. End quote. Harper, page 11. Another Protestant pastor says, quote, The initial hurdle to speaking in tongues, it seems, is simply the realization that you must speak forth. The first syllables and words may sound strange to your ear. They may be halting and inarticulate. You may have the thought that you are just making it up. But as you continue to speak in faith, the Spirit will shape for you a language of prayer and praise, end quote. Christensen, page 130. A Jesuit, quote, theologian tells how he put such advice into practice. After breakfast, I felt almost physically drawn to the chapel where I sat down to pray. Following Jim's description of his own reception of the gift of tongues, I began quietly to myself, La, 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 la. To my immense consternation, there ensued a rapid movement of tongue and lips, accompanied by a tremendous feeling of inner devotion. Jelpi, page 1. Can any sober Orthodox Christian possibly confuse these dangerous psychic games with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? There is clearly nothing whatever Christian, nothing spiritual here in the least. This is the realm, rather, of psychic mechanisms which can be set in operation by means of definite psychological or physical techniques, and speaking in tongues would seem to occupy a key role as a kind of, quote, trigger in this realm. In any case, it certainly bears no resemblance whatever to the spiritual gift described in the New Testament, and if anything, is much closer to shamanistic, quote, speaking in tongues, as practiced in primitive religions, where the shaman or witch doctor has a regular technique for going into a trance and then giving a message to or from a, quote, God in a tongue he has not learned. In the pages that follow, we shall encounter, quote, charismatic experiences so weird that the comparison with shamanism will not seem terribly far-fetched, especially if we understand that primitive shamanism is but a particular expression of a, quote, religious phenomenon which, far from being foreign to the modern West, actually plays a significant role in the lives of some contemporary, quote, Christians, mediumism. Number four, quote, Christian mediumism. All right, I'm going to save that for the next episode. The next section is called Christian Mediumism. Uh, and it's pretty, pretty, uh, getting pretty interesting, but this book is uh, very appropriate for me because I'm 
I've encountered the charismatic movement in Roman Catholicism and in the vineyard. And uh, it's hard to deny that, uh, yeah, I, I, I did. I used to speak in tongues. And it sounded like a, a, a bunch of babbling, really. It was just like a bunch of making sounds, different sounds. But it was uncontrollable. At one, uh, a few times, it was uncontrollable for me because of the energy. The energy was so strong. The energy was so powerful. And, um, but I don't think, I agree, I would agree with this book. I don't think that that's the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, I mean, that's not the gift of speaking in tongues that the apostles, they spoke in tongues and people understood what they said. Now, I did have an experience where I spoke in tongues out loud in the middle of a church service while we were worshiping, while we were singing worship songs, and a little boy uh, went, went up to the pastor. He didn't even come up to me. He went up to the pastor, and he told the pastor that he understood what I was saying. But... Uh, I don't think that that's really, I don't think that that's really the gift of tongues. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. That's a hard one. But uh, uh, that woman who I talked about, that woman who had a tumor and she was, and we prayed for her, that was undeniable. I mean, she had x-rays of the tumor, I mean, uh, MRIs, an MRI of the tumor before and after, and so that was undeniable, so it wasn't, uh, she, she got healed, and, uh, it was, it was just undeniable, but, um, I don't think, I wouldn't, I wouldn't attribute it to the, to, to the devil, I would not attribute the things that happened that I have seen and I have witnessed to the devil, because it was all in the name of Jesus, and it was all good things, all good things. And and it made, it led people to Christ and it made people come to Christ. Um, you know, people who had witnessed these, um, even I, 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 I got words of knowledge for people, like I, for complete strangers in church, at times I would just tell them things that would happen in their, uh, like I would, I would get uh, somebody... Um, like I would get the name of a person that they, that they knew. And for instance, I would, I would, uh, the, the name of the person would keep repeating in my head. And then I would just, you know, the, the Holy Spirit would say, tell them, tell them, um, about this person, you know, the, and ask, ask them about this person, ask them if they know this person. And I would, I would turn to the stranger and say, do you know so-and-so? And the person would say, "Yeah, I, yeah, that's my boss, my old boss." This one, this one time, oh, I don't, I don't have time to tell this story, but this one time, I, I, I told a complete stranger his boss's name, and he was completely shocked. But uh, I'll, I'll save that story for next time. So thank you, thank you so much for listening, and God bless you, and good night.